Well, glory to God. It's good to be back. It's been a while. And uh, recognize a lot of the faces. They just changed just a little bit. <laughs> Time does that. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, Father, we just uh, stand in your presence and we just can't thank you enough for being the awesome God that you are. And we're very thankful that you've want to lead and guide us in everything in our lives and you've taught us in your word how to be led by your spirit and so we just roll the care of the service into your hands and believe that you have complete freedom Holy Spirit to bring to remembrance what needs to be shared tonight we thank you for it in Jesus name Amen, Amen. alright you may be seated the uh, I understand you've had a few weeks of teaching on how to be led by the spirit so I'm not going to go into all of the different scriptures I'll just take one one out of Romans chapter 8 14 for as many as are led by the spirit of God these are sons of God so we are to be led by the spirit and if there ever was an hour that we really need to know where to go and not to go and what to do and not to do uh, it's really 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 important that we're where God wants us and that we don't get into a place where he isn't with us <laughs> and trouble comes but we can avoid all of that if we just learn to be led by the spirit okay I'm going to then um, uh, I'll just give you some uh, first of all an illustration that has to do with the ministry and this happened um, well just a long story but we'll just cut it real short we had um, resigned from the church that uh, he, uh, Pastor Mark talked about and then uh, we left town and we were on the road for quite a while or quite a few miles rather that summer and then we came back into town which was which we weren't planning on doing but that's how it worked and uh, word got out that I was in town and uh, so there was a young lady who probably in her late teens she attended the church uh, that uh, we were pastoring and um, so she gave, she tracked us down. We were staying with Harlan's place. And um, she said if I could come to the hospital and pray for her mother. And she only had two hours to live. And so I said, yeah, I'll, I'll be right there. And I'm thinking on the way, you know, and I'm only, you know, one year out a year. This is 1976, so just one year out of school. And I said, well, just, if only it could have been something real simple, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> pray for her cold or something <laughs> but only two hours to live so I really didn't know what I was in for and uh, just getting started in ministry and uh, got to the hospital and, and uh, of course the, the, uh, checked at the desk and, and uh, it was alright to go in the door was closed and of course her husband was there and he when I came into the room he said to his uh, wife uh, Pastor Caseman's here well, she knew who I was because of her, the daughter attended our church. And uh, she, I, I looked over there, and it looked like her face was just like leather. But she, when, when she heard my name, she could just, there was a smile. And I got over to the side of the bed, and of course she's got all these tubes and everything. And, and I, I got a hold of her hand, and I says, uh, do you want to live or do you want to die? You know, because it's important, you know. I'm not going to fight her will. And, 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 and said, just squeeze my hand because she was uh, not able to talk, supposedly. But she then, with just a raspy voice, I want 
to live. Well, we were off and running. <laughs> well, her daughter was there with a friend, and they were reading uh, healing scriptures and stuff. And uh, I prayed for her, and uh, then I um, uh, left and um, came back later that day, and she was still alive. And I would keep coming back to the hospital, and I'd always uh, go into the chapel and pray and decide what the Lord would want me to share with her. Because you talked about the book Spiritology. Well, it appears like she can't hear or talk, but the human spirit is trapped inside that physical body. And I know I married a nurse, so I heard, you know, be careful what you say around people that are unconscious because they can still hear. Well, and then later on, I began to, you know, when I got into the, you know, Bible school and everything, found out, you know, Brother Hagin said, if you don't understand First Thessalonians 5.23, I pray, God, that your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. If you don't know the difference between spirit, soul, and body, you're never going to, you're going to be confused when it comes to rightly dividing the word. And so I realized she could hear me. So I would uh, talk to her and the scriptures that the Lord would give me. And we made it through Saturday. We made it through Sunday. We made it through Monday. <laughs> and she's still alive. And man, I'm really happy. And, uh, but so then I, I checked in on Tuesday then, like we usually did at the chapel. And I'm just really rejoicing. And I got into a, a, kind, of, a kind of a Holy Ghost dance and everything. And, and finally, it was like the devil put water on my parade, or, or my party rather. And it just got real different, quiet. And I thought it was the devil. And, of course, I bound the devil and all of that. And then, I don't know, all of a sudden I realized that this is the Holy Spirit. It's not the devil. So I apologized. (laughs) I'm really sorry. (laughs) You know, I thought you were the devil. But anyway, uh, it just got real quiet. And um, I... uh, uh, how is that? I, 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 I felt um, he just ministered to me, and I didn't know exactly. Uh, he gave me a verse to share when I would go upstairs, and I didn't really know what to expect when I got into the room, but she was still the same, and, you know, unconscious and, you know, with all the stuff. And so I shared with her the verse that uh, the Lord had given me just a few moments ago down in the chapel. And when I shared that verse... There was, uh, in those years, you know, we had the old-fashioned cameras with the flash bulbs, and it was just like a flash bulb went off, a a bright light just flashed. And, of course, her daughter and her friend are on that side of the bed, and they're just, what is this? What happened? And, of course, you know, I'm the minister. I'm supposed to have all the answers, you know. (laughs) I said, well, uh, there must have been a tremendous release in the spirit. (laughs) I had no clue what was going on. This is all new to me, you know. And I, uh, so I, I, I let, you know, after a while, uh, I ended up going back to home. And so then the next morning uh, at 7 o'clock, uh, I, the phone, I get a phone call from the husband and wanted to know if I could come to the hospital right away. So I rushed to the hospital and and uh, the door was closed, and the nurse said, it's okay, you can go in. So I went in, and uh, the husband's not there. It's, uh, it's uh, Mrs. Baker, who um, uh, the sheets pulled over her face and everything. She's gone. And, of course, it had already spread all over town. You know, it's only about 20,000 people at that time, not quite 20,000. 
and uh, the word spread that this crazy preacher said she's going to live and not die. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it spreads pretty fast in a small town. And of course, now she's dead. But I'm in the room alone, and, and uh, you know, I remember she said she wanted to live. And so I'm standing at the foot of the bed, and of course, by faith now, <laughs> what is the Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit in here? You know, because I've read all the books like some of you have with Smith Wigglesworth. You know, they take the body and drag it out of the bed and slam it up against the wall and <laughs> you command it to live, you know, and all of that. And, you know, if somebody's going to be raised from the dead, I certainly want to be there to see this. But I just realized, okay, you know, I'm just standing there at the foot of the bed and tell you what, the, the devil has a machine gun. He just, you know, with your mind, it's just going crazy. But then down in your heart, it, there's that small, still voice. Yeah. And, 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 and said, don't do it. And I thought, that can't be right. <laughs> because she said she wanted to live. And I don't know, it seemed like forever, but at, at least several times I got really quiet with all that noise out here and just listening because if God's not in it, I mean, uh, the psych ward's next floor up. <laughs> <laughs> I was interested in them finding me holding a body against the wall and commanding them to go. We did have a, a, a small group outside of Wilmer in another little town, and a prayer group had nothing to do with us, but they were uh, supposedly spirit-filled people. But they had a young man that died, and they refused to give up the body, and they would lay on the body like the prophet did in the Old Testament, just lay flat on the body and command it to come back to life and all of that. And I, you know, after two, three days, the authorities finally went in and got the body out of there. You know, you can't make it happen. No. I've had other experiences. When the gift of faith drops, it's over with before you realize what happens. You don't even know you did it. And uh, but So I wanted to make sure because I knew this was, you know, once I walk out of the room, you know, done. And so then I, I felt that I, by faith it was don't do it. So I didn't understand, but I, I walked out. And um, I got to the house, and Kathleen said, how's Mrs. Baker doing? I said, she's doing all right. And I, you know, hold fast to my confession. <laughs> and, I scoot, and I scooted upstairs, because I had a few questions for the Lord, you know. And uh, I know a sinner got upstairs, and um, uh, I, well, I guess this, I had a, it was really a, a vision. And what happened, this whole room kind of, turned into a, a big body of water wow. and out there you could see a hand and somebody hollering for help and then it would go back under the water and then come back up and that went on for a few times and then the Lord told me what it was he says when you're out in the middle of the lake grounding it's too late to shout swimming instructions from the shore <laughs> and uh, so she was drowning in all that pain and uh, and we were trying to help her teach her you know, how to swim how to get her healing but it, it was too late. And then the next thing that happened, uh, would you like to know what the bright light was? I never, I should have thought to ask him. <laughs> and he told me, he said that he had appeared to her. So that was that bright light in the room. And that she changed her mind and decided to come home. I said, well, that's great. I'm left holding the bag. And, uh, <laughs> and so that, that uh, that really saved the ministry because we were only like about a year into the ministry and 
it would have not been good for me to try to make something happen when God's not in it and what have you. So that was, uh, that was quite an experience. So and he called, the husband called, and wanted me to do the funeral. Oh, Jesus. And um, the other thing, too, that the Lord told me, when the, with the vision, it's too late to start swimming instructions. The thing was, six months prior, she was healed miraculously of cancer under Catherine Kuhlman, medically documented. But the problem was, I came to town and her daughter attended the church to learn how to walk by faith and all the things that we would teach. But her mother was in a church that was telling everybody that we were a cult. Her mother didn't have enough courage to come to our church and learn how to swim, so to speak. And she stayed in a church that taught against it. And so uh, there was no second miracle for her uh, like she had with Catherine Kuhlman. If she would have learned the word, uh, she could have stayed healed. And uh, that's the thing. So, but anyway, she had a real rough life and and, um, heaven was a pretty good place. (laughs) So praise the Lord. All right, so that was with the ministry. Then we had another um, personal experience. We, um, the, uh, we have, uh, we had six children. And uh, we had an international family. <laughs> we had uh, Cuban, black, Indian, um, American Indian. Um, we had a real assortment with our kids. <laughs> and we had uh, uh, two, of course, would have been uh, Kathleen and I. I mean, we knew how to have children. But when I was stationed at Fort Belvoir, my wife uh, came along, but she stayed in the motel, of course. And uh, she happened to be watching... Uh, a program on TV that day, and there were 300 orphans in this uh, uh, particular place, and nobody wanted them because they were, they were they had black they were black people. Isn't that sad? It really is. So we then decided that instead of having more of our cho- own children, we would we would adopt children and make room for them. So she did. We adopted Tisha. And she was half Cuban, fourth black, fourth white. <laughs> and a beautiful girl. And, and, then, uh, and then, of course, we had uh, Michael. And, uh, but he, he uh, we were in a Bible school in Canada. That was before Rama started. And um, we already had applied for a, a, an adoption. And uh, they called us and said that they, well, they actually called us out there uh, at another time they were at Fort, or- uh, Fort Belvoir and the baby we were supposed to pick the baby up in Fargo, North Dakota uh, we, were, we, lived in, we were raised in North Dakota and um, then they called us and said don't stop the baby never made it out of Texas it died so we, that one didn't come and then of course Michael uh, they called us and we just happened to come home for Christmas vacation and they told us we could go pick him up and we did and uh, then about a, he was about a month old. Uh, we ended up in uh, uh, having um, uh, we had to go to the hospital, and of course they didn't have any. It was amazing in the city, uh, the capital city, there was not anybody that would put a baby to sleep to do surgery, but then there was a small town where there was an anesthesiologist that did, and so they did. They opened him up, and then they came out at five in the morning. The doctor came out and said he wouldn't live uh, past noon. Well, we didn't know anything about faith. 
So, you know, my confession was Michael won't live past noon, you know. And of course, it was, uh, it happened a few minutes after 12, he passed, he, he, he passed away. And we had uh, been taught, you know, and we were in the extreme charismatic stuff. And um, in order to, um, if you want to be successful, you have to be poor. You know, that, that kind of teaching, you know. And so we didn't have any money, and, and we were about ready to go back to Canada. And, um, but we had, uh, they allowed us to take his little body to Bismarck, about a mile, about an hour away. And there, uh, a friend of mine, well, he wasn't really a friend, but I knew him because he was about three years ahead of me in high school. But he uh, had become an undertaker. His dad was one, and his brother became one. And he had a, a funeral home in Bismarck. And he agreed to, uh, up there in North Dakota in the middle of the winter, it's kind of hard to dig, you know, a grave. <laughs> and every, the frost is pretty deep. And uh, so he agreed to keep his, his body till spring. And so we came back then from Canada um, that spring, picked up his body and, and uh, took it out to this rural um, uh, cemetery out in the country, 16 miles out of my hometown. And that's where Bernard Casement was buried, and he's the one that came over, the Germans from Russia, from the Odessa, Odessa area. So we decided we'd just bury him there. So I just went out there, and I dug his grave and buried him and put a little concrete on top so we could, you know, we know where it was at. And so that was, took care of Michael. And then, of course, um, we ended up then getting a phone call from uh, uh, somebody that uh, had been part of our church and um, what wondering uh, the husband called wanted to know if I would if we would take their baby and keep him for a month um, he, was only, he was only about a month old and already had uh, been abused by the mother with cigarette burns on the bottom of the seat and stuff like that and so yeah, he says we'll, we'll take care of him for a month now she checked herself into the state hospital so she can come back out in a month they can't hold her see and uh, but we did we didn't we got to, we got home and the phone is ringing and here the sheriff <laughs> the sheriff was on his way to get the baby but we beat him to it but we didn't know that you know and of course we had already had adopted and so it was real simple it was easy um, just signed the paperwork we were already qualified and then of course uh, that went on and um, uh, it was kind of rough the uh, have to go back into the home some, on weekends. And then he'd come back, and I don't know what they did to him. I don't know if they gave him drugs or what they did. But it was, it was really rough. And then the Lord spoke to my wife and said that she'd brought Daniel to us, uh, that we were to raise him. And uh, so then, but you know, uh, now he's four years old, and I'm, I'm doing a lot of traveling overseas. You know, I was just, uh, it was, I used to go a month at a time, four times a year. Uh, overseas and then just keep driving across the country and back and forth. It was cool. <laughs> we put on a few miles in 50, almost 50 years, I guess, 48 years. But anyway, so then um, what I would do, I knew then that we were going to leave Minnesota, but I didn't know where. And so I couldn't announce it. <laughs> That's, but I already knew that Mark would uh, take over and, and would be the pastor. But I had no idea when, so I really couldn't say anything. And so then in my little prayer book or my notebook that I had, I would, what I would do, I would say, okay, uh, are we moving? And then I would 
have two lines to check, a yes or a no. <laughs> I already knew the first part from moving. And then, you know, where, and then I would have a line where you could fill in the blanks, you know, the town. And so, just wasn't getting anything. So I'm in Helsinki, Finland. And that morning, it was like, uh, uh, like God had walked into the room. And I knew I was going to get an answer. And I quickly got my book out. And uh, are we moving? Yes. <laughs> and then where? And so I got in, in my heart. It's hard to explain. But it was just like in big black letters. It was Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, you know, of course, we're living in Minnesota. And, of course, Brother Hagin, would, he would say, you know, get, get out of town. We've got enough preachers in Tulsa. You know, get out there where they need them. Well, I wasn't going to Tulsa to start a church. It was just to uh, have our officer uh, for traveling. We'd, we'd travel out of Tulsa. Well, anyway, I got real quiet just to make sure. And I tried to plug in other cities, you know, like Minneapolis, and then it would fade. I'd put Bismarck, North Dakota, and that Bismarck crossed here, and that would fade. And it's kind of interesting, but it, it would always come back. Tulsa would just come back, uh -huh. big bold black letters, just like you could see it in here. And uh, and uh, so then I head back home, and uh, Kathleen picks me up from the Minneapolis International Airport, and. Uh, um, so we had already made arrangements to check into a motel and she took one look at me when uh, at the airport and she says you know where we're moving don't you and I says yeah she says where and I said I'm not telling you and uh, so we got to the motel and I'm getting cleaned up and I uh, told her you just go I gave her an envelope a uh, piece of paper that we found in the motel there and I said uh, you just get real quiet and see what you get in your heart, you know. And there was a reason for me not telling her, and I'll tell you that right now. Anyway, she came back with a slip of paper, and I opened up my notebook, and I, where it said I had written Tulsa, and her piece of paper said Tulsa. All right, now here's the deal. Now, she heard God's voice, but we've got a problem. God told her that we would be raising Daniel. But Daniel's property in the state of Minnesota, so we cannot take him out of the state. Or we'll get picked up for kidnapping or whatever. We'll end up in real trouble. But the Lord spoke to us, so, you know, the thing about it, you know, when you look at here, uh, oh, I'll just come back here to Hebrews chapter 5 and come right on down here to verse 9, and it reads this way, and having been perfected, that's talking about Jesus. Of course, all along he was being perfected. You know, it's in, for example, in the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil three different times. And other things, just like you and I had a lot of opportunities to, to obey God and live the holy life. So he was being perfected. And, and he passed the test all the way because his goal was he had to make it to the cross sinless. He couldn't sin or it's, all, it's done. You know, God would cease to exist and be over with. But then now, here in verse 9, it says, in, uh, oh, back one more page, and, and, uh, where am I? Here we are. Oh, for crying out loud, there it is. I've got, I had my finger in the book of Romans and Hebrews. All right, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, and having been perfected, 
So now he made it. He passed the test. He's on the cross. And of course, you know, he's, he's, our sins have been laid upon him. And if you look, for example, in, in Psalms 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, as our sins are laid upon him, he's dying. And, and so then, he then, this is actually where the new blood covenant was cut, right here. God now had a sinless man he could enter into blood covenant with. And it says here, uh, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So it's one thing to ask Jesus to come in your heart and be born again and, and ask him to be your Lord and master. Right. But we must be obedient. Yeah. Faith and obedience go together. Unbelief and disobedience, but faith and obedience. Yeah, and, and so then, we just knew we had to obey. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so really what it looks like now is, you know, we're going to be walking out of Minnesota, and we've had him for four years since he's been a month old. He's our boy. Mm. And uh, so our attorney then, he said, well, you know, the judge... Norm normally, the experience that I've, he said, I've had with the judge, if you know the parents, you're not going to be able to. He won't let you adopt them. Wow. Well, of course we knew the parents. They attended our church. And, uh, but he said, let's, let's give it a shot, you know. <laughs> and we did. And I felt that I had to be, I think it was the end of May, I had to be, I felt we needed to leave. And then he would come in and take the church. And uh, so... We had one month to get it done because I got back from overseas the first part of May, the first of May. And um, so we go, and then finally we appear before the judge just, just towards the end of May. And we, I heard him say, uh, Daniel James Caseman. <laughs> he was our boy. And the parents, meanwhile, had come into, uh, into the um, office there and terminated parental rights. They knew we were leaving town and they wanted him to go with us. So that was a miracle too. Absolute miracle. So it's interesting how, you know, you're led by the Spirit and you obey. And we ended up with Daniel. So, glory. <laughs> I, uh, so we ended up moving. So, um, was I going to say? We, we did have, uh, you know, Jonathan. He, uh, let's see, where were as I stationed? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I was at Fort um, um, Harrison in Indianapolis. And uh, a 10-week course there. I was, uh, I was a combat, I was in the uh, North Dakota Army uh, National Guard, 5th Army. We were combat engineers. And uh, so I was company commander of the unit there in Mina. And um, so I went to, I, at that time then I went to there to get uh, branch qualified in another little deal. That's another story. But then we got the phone call to pick up uh, Jonathan. Now, I'm stationed at Fort Benjamin Harrison. My, and and I'm, I'm, uh, the goal was for me to go full-time uh, uh, with the um, North Dakota Army National Guard at Frayne Barracks, the headquarters. And I had all the qualifications and everything. And we even put earnest money down on a home before I left for Fort Harrison for the 10-week course. And then all the mail is forwarded. And somebody put me on Brother Higgins' mailing list. 
And uh, I think it's some conference somewhere or something. They just got our names and put it on there. Well, I, uh, in the charismatic uh, days, we were into extreme. Pigs in the parlor was our manual. And, uh, you know, there was a devil. You know, if you, if you fell asleep in church, you must have a sleeping devil. Or, you know, if you're, <laughs> it was just crazy. Everything was a devil. Everything was a devil. And uh, if, you, if you're getting bold, you know, that's, a de- that's an evil spirit. It was crazy. And... Uh, uh, and so I get Brother Hagen's book, of course, and I mean the uh, newsletter. And I'd already had uh, at one of the conferences had picked up two books on, that he wrote on demons. And I looked at him, fear this man doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> so it's just junk mail. But I have, a, I have, I still have that habit. I don't, you know, it's junk mail. But I quick flick through it. I don't know what I'm looking for, but at least, you know, flip through it. And that's what I would do. And here they had an ad for Rama Bible Training Center. He had announced it that summer that they would start that fall. And I, uh, I figured, well, you know, I didn't know anything about faith. So I figured, well, you know, might as well just apply. Uh, I figured, sure, I was going to end up full time with the military. But, 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 you know, you always have to have a backup plan out of the world, you know. And, and I don't know if I ever filled an application or not, but I got accepted just like real fast. <laughs> And so uh, my wife, she loved the military and was looking forward to it. But anyway, um, well, no problem. When we get back to Bismarck, North Dakota, we'll, we'll, um, we'll just uh, let Raymond know he's not coming. Well, we got back to Bismarck and found out that uh, I did not get it. Another man got it. But years later, I found out why I didn't get it. Years later. A friend of mine was uh, working full-time at Frayne Barracks, and he uh, bumped into him one time, and he said, uh, by the way, he said, and he said, See, we, we, I was, like I said, I was commander of the battalion headquarters, so battalion officers and myself, we went down to Frayne Barracks uh, for a special meeting with uh, General Malhouse. Now, I don't know how in the world I ended up in General Malhouse's office alone. They all went to get something or something, and uh, I ended up witnessing to him. And that sealed that sealed it. <laughs> they don't need they don't need a, a crazy people like me to be around if they want to drink and uh, talking about Jesus. And uh, but I didn't know that. But it was God anyway, because I ended up then uh, going to Rama. Uh, where else are we going to go? We were accepted, <laughs> and uh, so we packed up and ended up in Rama. So that's how that all happened. I don't know how that, how being led by the Spirit was involved in that one, but anyway. Is that where you got Jonathan? Huh? Is that where you got Jonathan? Oh, that's right. Thank you. Yeah, we had uh, to pick up Jonathan. So what we did, we swung through uh, Birmingham, Alabama and picked up Jonathan on the way to Rama. Yeah. So we had, uh, and he was half black, half white. And uh, most people don't know it, but Desi's a Sioux Indian. <laughs> <laughs> my oldest daughter <laughs> and uh, and uh, praise the Lord <laughs> and uh, and uh, Daniel is Nor- Norwegian but uh, we've forgiven him for that so <laughs> and uh, I don't know who else <laughs> my family but uh, yeah we've got a real assortment well Michelle she's half Cuban 
Oh, no, Michelle's, uh, Michelle was, uh, well, Jonathan was half black, half white, and then we didn't know anything about his, um, the, the, the health history of the father. We didn't, there was none of that. And so he almost died. The first time he almost died on us was um, he was eight years old. And, uh, well, we finally took him to the emergency room. And um, the blood sugar went over 800, you know. And he was in really bad shape. And that's when we discovered that he had the worst kind of diabetes you could have, juvenile diabetes. And um, he was just an outgoing guy. He knew everybody. I mean, we'd go to a church at Ramah. Where'd Jonathan go? And we saw him over there talking to Brother Hagin. You know? <laughs> he just knew everybody in town. He was a master carpenter. He was a musician. I mean, he just lived his life to the fullest. Yeah. And then finally, <clears throat> at 35 years of age, his, uh, his body just fell apart. And, um, and so he was hanging in there. But then... Uh, we were talking to the doctor, and then he said, uh, he's on life support. What do you mean he's on life support? Well, he's on um, the, uh, uh, you know, where they run the blood, the diabetes. Uh, yeah. What do they call it again? Dialysis, Dialysis 24 hours a day. Yeah. And wow. so that, I didn't realize that was life support. And so then we really, his wife, Michelle, Kathleen, myself, we prayed and, and uh, knew this was, I mean, he was totally... I tried to get him out of the bed to put him on the potty there by there and he's just dead weight and he couldn't do anything. And uh, so we all agreed. Uh, Michelle, his wife, uh, said, Jonathan, they had a two-year-old that they had adopted. She says, uh, you know, we'll be okay, Jonathan. You know, it's okay. You can go to heaven. But see, what happened, another thing, backing up with Jonathan, see, about a year and a half before that, he went into a, 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 a well he ended up in a coma yeah. and they, there's no room in Tulsa because uh, the flu or the rooms were all taken they had to take him to Oklahoma City and then on the way to Oklahoma City he flatlined and I guess he was gone for five minutes or more and they brought him back and he had then he ended up he was in a coma but we managed to get the insurance company to fly him back to Rochester, Minnesota, the Mayo Clinic, because that's where he had his pancreas transplant. And two weeks in a coma, and he wakes up, and he calls my wife. We're living in Branson, Missouri at that time. And he said, Mom, heaven is a real place. Mom, it is a real place. And he'd been to heaven. And, John, and Jesus had a surprise. He says, Jesus said to him, I've got a surprise for you, Jonathan. And he heard this voice behind him, Johnny boy. Well, that was Grandpa Nielsen. Yeah. And he turned around, and there he was. But he said Grandpa Nielsen looked like he was in his 30s. Wow. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And he saw a lot of things in heaven. Yeah. And uh, so then for the next year and a half, Jesus, he said, I can't wait to go to bed at night because Jesus comes and talks to me. And he, all he could talk about was what he saw in sure. heaven. And then he said, one day Jesus came by and he says, John, you got a minute? <laughs> and Jonathan said, do I have a minute? <laughs> Don't you have a few billion people you have to take care of? You know, and he, oh, Jesus would act like John was the only person. Wow. And you know, that is really the way it is. Amen. 
Um, you know, one of the unique attributes of God is that he is present everywhere. Amen. Everywhere. You look at Psalms 139, he's even, presence is in hell. You can't get away from his presence is in heaven and on earth. And so God is everywhere. And uh, so Jesus is everywhere too. You know, he's way beyond what we do. <laughs> I mean, we think we're cool. Our technology is ancient compared to what he does. And uh, I mean, just think about it. He, uh, let's see, uh, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, so this would be a good thing to do. The, um, oh, let's see, where can we pick it up? Um, we're, um, oh, we could go, let's see, then we run over to there. Uh, let's see. <laughs> uh, okay, the church is then in, uh, finally Jesus is resurrected from the dead and all of that, and, and now we have Pentecost coming. All right, and the church is going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But now, when you back up, uh, we take, for example, um, uh, well, okay, Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and to the end of the earth. And the word power in the Greek (laughs) is dunamis, which means they receive the resurrection power of Jesus and the unlimited power and unlimited ability of God. And then, of course, as I was meditating on that, there's another way I, I feel you can describe dunamis. There's another way. And it's this way. God, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. They're all one and the same. So in the beginning, and now with the latest uh, uh, um, telescope that they got in outer space and everything, they're seeing a whole lot more. So in the beginning, God, through his word, by the Holy Spirit, created two over two. Now they're saying it's over two billion galaxies. (laughs) And that means you'd have billions and billions of trillions stars and Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 22 says as the host of heaven cannot be numbered and of course the Amplified and the New King James says as the stars of heaven cannot be numbered but God (laughs) Psalms 147 verse 4 he God counts the number of the stars and the next line he calls them all by name. Now, that's billions or trillions of names. You know, you, you have a baby and you come up with trying to pick up eight different names. <laughs> but billions. And then verse 5. Uh, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Endless. Boundless. In other words, you cannot measure his intelligence. No, you can't. And then you think about it, there's over 8 billion people on this planet right now. But then when you look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, he knows the number of hairs on all of our heads at the same time. I know you went this way. Okay, bald head counts for one hair, I suppose. <laughs> But then also, there's over 8 billion people on this planet. 
And according to Luke chapter 6, verse 15, he knows exactly what all of us are thinking in our hearts. Amen. All at the same time. Amen. So there's no sense playing games with them when you're praying. Just come out. <laughs> Be honest. Don't try to manipulate them. He already knows what you're thinking. Then there's over 8 billion people on this planet. But then according to John 10, 27, he, my sheep, hear my voice, and I know them. He knows our names and everything about us all at the same time, over 8 billion people. So now you're talking about someone that has unlimited ability and unlimited power. And so now the apostles... We're, are, going, are being on Pentecost then they're being baptized with the Holy Spirit baptized with unlimited power and unlimited ability to enforce the victory that was won in heaven because just before that of course we know that uh, Jesus uh, war broke out in heaven and Jesus in Luke 10 and 18 he saw Satan fall like a lightning flash from heaven but then you go to Revelation 12, verse 7 through 11. Michael and his angels take on Satan, the accuser of the brethren, and this, all of his fallen angels, and they kick him out of heaven. Yeah. And Satan and all of his fallen angels hit the earth 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. Right. So the battle was won in heaven. Yes. Now we, if we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, we've got unlimited power and ability to enforce the victory That's right. that was won in heaven. Amen. The battle used to be in heaven, but now it's moved to the earth. Yes. And the next step, of course, uh, well, it takes us all the way to Revelation 20, verse 10, and, and the uh, seed of the woman will cast Satan into the lake of fire forever and ever. You know, that's yeah. where ultimately we get to. But right now the battle's on earth. Yeah. But we have unlimited power and ability Amen. to enforce that victory. Amen. We don't, I tell you, think, I, I think about it when I pray, I meditate on it. The creator of this universe really lives inside of us. Come on. Yes. Yes. The one that's created the billions of stars and everything. It's in us. But we have no, no excuse. <laughs> Not to get answers to prayer or have the victory. But I'm, I'm, I'm no different than you are. You know, got to get this thing renewed. And uh, let God have his way. You see how it is in the Old Testament. They tried to, they tried to keep God's word and for, fulfill what God's called them to do with their own strength. And they hit the wall every time. No success. That's the Old Testament. Under the new blood covenant, we have it's God and his strength working through us. For example, you take Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21. Make you complete in every good work to do his will. Working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Oh, yeah, we got it right up yeah. there. Forever and ever. Amen. So that's been going on all this time, right? Yeah, we're doing good. How are we doing all right? <laughs> now you lost it. Okay. Philippians 2, verse 13. Yes. I guess I'll let you put it up there. <laughs> no. But 
Uh, where are you? Philippians 2.13. Give me some help here. Oh. But see, for it is God who works in you to both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So under the new blood covenant, it's God working through us with his strength. Instead of us trying it with our strength, which we can't do it. So in a sense, you know, like for example, I, I live now in Florida. But I'm destined to fly out to California to be here with you. So really my attitude is, uh, God needs a physical body. He's the spirit. (laughs) So he's got the body of Christ. And we're members individually. So he lives in each and one of us. So I says, well, okay, Lord, I'm going to obey you. And we got the plane tickets. I'm going to California. I'm going to take you to California because you have some things you want to say to the people. And you need my mouth and you know what have you and or you know his power to flow through yeah. and so that's what we do that's we obey true. him you know you probably yeah. it's just like uh, when I got um, uh, our neighbors they um, I don't know how I'm getting under that but maybe it's good but anyway before we got saved that was a mess um, but uh, on this particular day they knocked on my door on a Friday and invited us to their home Bible study on Tuesday night the following Tuesday. This would have been April 4th, 1972. And they just obeyed their pastor. The pastor said to them, don't take it for granted that everybody in your neighborhood is born again and going to heaven, even though they belong to a church. And so with fear and trembling, because they'd never done this before, he worked for the Game and Fish and she was a housewife. And And he gave them the Campus Crusade material, you know, the four spiritual laws and all the other... And so with fear and trembling, they were knocking on the doors in our neighborhood. And wouldn't you know it, 14 of us showed up on Tuesday night. And uh, see, but they obeyed their pastor. And so God, because they did that, God was there to speak to us (laughs) through the word. You know, they shared the word through that track. And that's when... They asked if I wanted to ask Jesus to come into our heart. So Kathleen and I both said yes. And so they, we all prayed together. And then they went around one by one, you know. And they got to me, Jim, did you pray the prayer? And I says, yeah. And he says, well, then where is Jesus? I don't know. <laughs> I never read the Bible. I, I, I didn't know any of this stuff. So I guess for the benefit of everybody, they redid the whole thing over again. And... Uh, so we prayed by faith and um, didn't, you know, we didn't know anything about faith, but we went home with no feelings. I like to get excited, but there was just nothing. And of course, Wednesday was kind of nothing. But then Thursday morning, I came out of the back bedroom and to the kitchen. Kathleen didn't say good morning. She says, Jim, you're not cussing anymore. Wow. No more cussing. Yeah, I had a foul mouth. And it was gone. And I'm 29 years old. I'm not a child. But when she said that, something was moved inside of me. And I said, I don't know how he got in there, but he got in there. And uh, I'll never take his name in vain again. And that was it. 180 degree flip, just like that. And we were off and rolling. And I don't know, it went so fast after that. And the next thing you know, we're traveling all over the world and everything. 
It's just amazing. Yes, it is. So he made up for the 29 years that uh, I uh, kind of wasted. But thank God I got born again at 29. And Amen. Been driving hard and fast for, what, 48 years now. Yes. Praise the Lord. Yeah. You still have your pulpit. What's that? You still have your little pulpit. He likes that. <laughs> I, what happened in those earlier years the message of faith was really going strong up north and people wanted Bible studies in their homes and I love Bible studies as a matter of fact I'm driving to Mobile, Alabama next month we're having a home Bible study in Mobile and another home Bible study about 100 miles north in Sweetwater and Nanafali <laughs> another home Bible studies I'm looking forward to that but we had a lot of them in those years and then eventually they turned into churches and but what happened? A friend, um, Heidecker was his name. Yeah, yeah. he's in, he was in the upholstery business. Right. So he put together a portable podium for me. Yeah. And it just folds up flat with a like Whoa. carry it like a suitcase, <laughs> and you just flip it open, stand it up here, even a shelf here in the bottom, and uh, have pulpit will preach. <laughs> and I carried that thing with me everywhere I went to these homes. And so we got talking about it. So I, I still have it. So I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna dig it out when I get home. Come I'm on. gonna take it to Alabama with me <laughs> to Mobile. Because <laughs> it was two home Bible studies. I'm gonna bring my pulpit with me. <laughs> you <got a> picture. <laughs> picture. Pictures of that. Oh, what a life! It's been a good life with Jesus. All right. Well, Father, we just thank you for the privilege we have to be. To be called your children and to be part of the family of God. It's an exciting life. We thank you that it's not dull and boring to be able to be a believer, to be a Christian, and to be part of the family of God and to do the things that you ask us to do. We think it's been a privilege and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.